In this episode of the Neil Wilkins podcast, I am joined by the disruptive entrepreneur, uh, self-described as a rebel with a cause. Mr. Rob Moore joins me uh, in the episode today. Hi, Rob. Neil, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And really excited for this conversation because I think, and, and you'll know this to be true, I think there are so many people right here right now who believe, and I want to pick your brains and see what you think about this, uh, but believe that they are an entrepreneur. They feel they have the capability of being it, but they've probably lived all of their life to this point, not as an entrepreneur. And I want to kind of work with you to kind of really delve deeply into what is an entrepreneur? Can I be one? Can anybody else be one? Is it learned or innate? Kind of what's going on here? What, what is Rob Moore's take on the concept of entrepreneurship? So, I mean, how, how would you define an entrepreneur, Rob? Well, conversely, Neil, um, I've done nearly a thousand episodes of my podcast Disruptors. And a lot of the people I interview who are clearly entrepreneurial they don't define themselves as entrepreneurs. So I think you've probably got two sides where some think they are and they aren't, and some probably are and they don't think they are. Um, I don't think labels really matter in life. I mean, if we want to define entrepreneurship, we could say that we are disrupting certain industries. So you could say, for example, that you're making a niche, an industry, a product or a service better than the, than the competitors. Some people, they feel that being an entrepreneur is you need to do it in multiple industries and niches. So you can't just do it once. You need to have done it multiple times. Uh, I mean, I think really an entrepreneur solves meaningful problems for as many people as possible in an area or niche where they have experience and value. Um, and it doesn't really matter if you're a billionaire or are nearly there, what matters is you have something unique, disruptive, um, and you serve people at scale. Mm, I, I like this thing. I'm going to come back to this, this, this word value because I think, you know, for lots of people, almost probably searching for the opportunity to, you know, engage with somebody like you to kind of get a mentor to really understand how they can probably offer more value than they might have done to this point in their career or in their business journey. I, I, I want to go then in just a short while, but just this, this whole idea of the word entrepreneur, I mean, to, to you, does it inspire to have multiple income streams? I know you talk a lot about this kind of spreading of, you know, the, the, the business portfolio. You talk a lot about, obviously, your um, property portfolio, for example. The, this whole idea of having multiple ways of being, because otherwise you're just a business person, aren't you? If you just have literally one business, that isn't an entrepreneur, is it? Is, is the definition of this having you know, multiple streams of, of revenue coming through? Yeah, I, I think it could be. Um, would I choose a billion a year from one source or a million a year from 10? I'd probably take the billion. <laughs> so there are certainly some people who are business owners who only do one thing and they do it very well. But then there's Elon Musk, 
And you'd have to call Elon Musk an entrepreneur because he's done at least four things very well and, and very big. Now, on the subject of multiple streams of income, I think there's multiple products and services and businesses that serve multiple people, which create value. And then I think from your perspective is how do I protect myself from disruptions, lockdowns, economic crashes, divorces, um, irregular shock and unknown events? And one of the best ways to protect yourself from all of the above and more is to have multiple and diverse income streams. Because the more multiple and diverse income streams you have, the harder it is, the less likely it is that all of those are going to close at any one time. So diversification, which in some ways is the opposite of entrepreneurship. That entrepreneurship grows your wealth and then diversification protects it. But multiple streams of income used to be a luxury and now I believe it's a necessity. Yeah, and it is in these kind of, I guess you could term chaotic times where there is you know, a lot of unpredictability, you know, markets can crash, certain sectors are on the rise, you know, you get bullish people, you get bearish people, you know, there, there's a whole dynamic going on here, isn't there? And when you talk about the value that you mentioned before, it's, it's really, really critical, I guess, to kind of really hone in on what your specialism is because if you start dabbling in the latest fad so i mean crypto for example you know a lot of people have been jumping you know headlong into that probably in the vast majority with little or no experience and thinking okay great here's another revenue stream because it's the latest trend i know nothing about it but i'm going to invest all my savings in it there is some kind of sensibility here in this game isn't there that you know if you have this diverse portfolio I mean, should it, I mean, I'll ask you the question, I won't preempt this, but should it be that it needs to be things you know a little bit about? You talked about specialism before. Is that an important element of this mix? Yeah, well, every winner was once a beginner and every master was once a disaster. So I certainly don't criticise people who are starting out in a new venture, whether it's new to them or they're already experienced in business, but they're launching a new business. You have to start somewhere. But there is a balance. And if you spin too many plates, in the end, some of them are going to stop spinning and they're going to crash. Whereas if you put all your eggs in one basket, you have exposure. So there's a few tips and tricks that people can adhere to when building the optimum amount of income streams. So um, in my book, Multiple Streams of Property Income, I developed the 80-20 principle into a divisible model for time investment into different businesses. And it's 70-20-10. So if you were to put 100% of your time into one business model or one area, you might argue you may become a specialist or an expert in that in quick time, but you might also argue that that's a risk. Like if you put 100% of your time now into retail, retail is being disrupted uh, and lockdown might have 
meant the end of your retail business, for example. So there's some risk attached to all in. But then if you put 20% of your time into five different businesses, it's like chasing five rabbits. How do you even, you know, chase two rabbits, catch none? So as a good guide, 70% of your time you would invest, and maybe your money too, in your main business. 20% of your time might be into your new emerging business or your second business. And then 10% of your time might be into trends, research. Because, Neil, you, you mentioned crypto. And of course, right now, AI is a big thing that people are talking about. Well, if we always ignored those because they're the new trends and fads, in the end, we'd always miss out on the next big business model. So we shouldn't ignore them. But if we go, oh, 100% crypto, oh, 100% AI, you know, then we're just a bit ADHD chaotic and distracted. So that's tip number one, 70, 20, 10. And also what, what sometimes happens, and I see this, is people have done all right in a business or a career. They, they probably wanted a bit more, but they've done all right. And then they're like, oh, yeah, this new thing. And they move away from what really worked okay for a couple of decades into some new thing. And then the thing that worked okay for a couple of decades dies. So to add on to this 70, 20, 10 would be trying to create what I call cross-stream leverage. So let's say 70% of your time doctor, 20% of your time AI, 10% of your time crypto. They're all completely unrelated. They're all completely different. In learning one, you don't really get crossover or cross-stream leverage into another. Whereas, and I, and I did this myself, Neil, and much of it in the early years was an accident, but real estate. So I have a property portfolio of about 340 units, um, about 1,350 tenants I have in my management business. And when I started, I was buying property for myself. And then when I either ran out of money or um, had too many deals, I started sourcing for other people. Now, buying for yourself and sourcing for others is not too dissimilar. You know, it might be 70% the same. And then as I was sourcing for others and myself, I, I realized I knew quite a bit here. So I wrote my first property book. And then when enough people bought my property book, I realized, well, I could do courses and mentoring. So then I did courses and mentoring. And then when we built up enough of a property portfolio, we're like, well, we could manage these ourselves and self-insure. So we built up a, a management business. And each one of those new businesses, 80% of what I needed to know in them, I'd already learned from doing the previous thing. So instead of being fractious and trying to do lots of different things, get proficient in one area and then look at how you can spin off. How can you write a book on it, do courses on it, mentoring on it, software on it, etc. Cross-stream leverage, I call it. Yeah, and I, I love that this kind of balance because I, th I think everybody sort of maybe looking at your website, you know, fr from the outset would look at this and think, wow, disruption. It is all about managing in the chaos. It's all about flying here, there and everywhere. It's about doing this and that. But actually what you're describing here is it's about having that slightly rebellious, because you, you describe yourself as, you know, rebel with the cause, that slightly rebellious streak to uncover opportunity but then put in place process 
because it feels like what we're talking about here is that it's great to have the innovation, but at a measured level. It's great to be disruptive because you're adding new value into a particular market or sector, but at a considered level. So there's a nice kind of level of planning and assured assuredness, really, within the way that you approach this, which is really refreshing because I wasn't probably expecting that balance here. And it feels like it is a balance, isn't it, to then be able to you know, manage the risk, you know, leverage the opportunity, but do it in a kind of a really considered and mindful way. So you know what's happening all the time. Gives you that sense of control, doesn't it? Yeah, well, in my early days of bit years of being an entrepreneur, um, I had a very one-sided view of business. Um, property is good. Forex trading is bad. Um, or um, hiring staff and having an office is good, or hiring staff and having an office is bad, depending on the, the way you look at it. And humans tend to look at an event, a situation, a person, or a business in a one-sided way, i.e. it's good or it's bad. And I had a mentor um, many years ago that said to me, no situation, event or person, therefore business is all good or all bad. It has equal upsides and downsides. So this really helped me, I guess, gain consistency longevity, because I'm approaching two decades as an entrepreneur, I think it's 17 and something years. And if you're high and low, um, everything's great, everything's awful, elation, depression, if you, if you continue to go through this high cycle of emotions, in the end, you self-sabotage, you implode, you burn out, you have mental health issues, you go bust, you overtrade, you know, it's, it's unsustainable. So you need to find some kind of equilibrium. Now, balance is a difficult concept because you don't really ever, ever have, like a, when's a seesaw ever there? It, it, it's swinging up and down and it has little moments when it's balanced, but it swings. You know, sometimes business is good, business is bad. Lockdown was good for some people, bad for others. Like, I did a, an exercise in my vision meeting, Neil, and I, I took a um, flip chart, put a line down the middle, put, wrote lockdown at the top, and I wrote good, bad. And I asked my 110 people-ish that were in this vision meeting, was lockdown good or bad? Well, by the time we'd finished, we had probably 10 good things and 10 bad things. Lockdown wasn't good or bad. Lockdown was lockdown. And each individual will either see it as good or bad, a wise individual and maybe a very experienced entrepreneur will go, I can see the good in ba and bad in lockdown simultaneously. So when you can see the good and the bad, the up and the down simultaneously in um, an event, a business model, then I think you might achieve the word you used, which is balance. So when did you know then that you could see this stuff? Because I'm guessing from, from what you're saying, and I find this quite intriguing actually, because in lots of ways, I, I kind of had this view of entrepreneurship as being something that is actually innate. I, I don't think it's actually something you can really teach, but 
actually, it sounds like it potentially is something you can teach, or at least some of the techniques within it. When did you know that you could spot that balance? Was it kind of back in childhood? Did you kind of have moments when you just thought, you know, I, I feel different. I feel like I can do things that others who maybe need to be kind of told what to do or shown how to do it. I can kind of see through that. Were there times in kind of early life where, where you kind of felt a, a different sort of beast, if you like, to, to the average human? No. It was more later, actually. Um, so until a doctor or a scientist who's really credible can prove that there's an entrepreneur's chromosome, I'm not going to hold the belief that entrepreneurs are born. Um, I think... We are all born with limitless potential and probably certain genes in our lineage that will, could develop certain traits. However, I believe that environment has a huge part to play in the skills and the talents and the direction that our life goes in. So if you're born into a family of entrepreneurs and exposed to entrepreneurship from a very young age and all the things that employed people see as risk, your tour is normal and where all the success and the opportunity are, in that conducive environment, these latent potential skills are likely to develop in you. Um, you know, a seed might have a certain genetic, I, I don't know what DNA for seeds are, but if you think about a seed, a seed is potential, isn't it? It's nothing realized, and the soil and the nutrients in the soil and the sun and the water, they have the biggest impact on how this seed flourishes. So I'm not denying there aren't certain genetic qualities that develop your personality because, you know, my children started developing personality traits even before they could talk. And so I had to therefore hold the belief that certain personality traits are going to be more natural within you. But no sunlight, no water, no seed flourishes. So I think there's a lot of untapped potential in all of us that hasn't been nurtured because of environment. So I would say environment has the biggest impact. The books you read, the people you spend time with, the TV shows you watch, the media you consume, the school you go to, you know, the parenting, the location in the world that you live in. So that's my answer on entrepreneur born or made. For me, um, I was raised by someone who was very and still is highly rebellious and basically would get intense pleasure out of doing the opposite to what everyone wanted him to do. And I think that's where some of that in me came from, because I really admire my dad. Um, so, you know, there are some people that absolutely would be embarrassed 
by in any way being perceived differently and would do everything that they can to fit in. My wife's like that, for example. And those kind of people, they're probably more made for an employed role or to work alongside or under an entrepreneur, clearing up their chaos and their mess. Now, Neil, in our world, often employees and, you know, and people who work for a living and are a wage slave and are just over broke, you know, these people can get um, demeaned. I don't demean them at all because um, every entrepreneur needs an organized person needs a systemized person, needs a careful, considered, almost risk-averse person in their team. In terms of learning about balance, this wasn't until I was in my 30s. So I think it was good that I wasn't a balanced individual when I started business. Yeah, I'm going to take over the world. Yeah, we're going to disrupt this industry. Yeah, we're going to make millions. Yeah, we're going to be the biggest. And um, I think I was quite naive of the downsides and the challenges and the difficulties that were ahead of me. But that was probably a good thing because I didn't overthink starting out. Now, looking back, I realized that, you know, there were a lot of challenges along the way, which had I been told all of those, that might have stopped me from starting. Um, but I would say to anyone listening, um, if you do struggle with volatile emotions, um, Think about something that when you went through it years ago was awful. Might be a divorce. Might be a business that went bust. Might be a legal case. We've all got those experiences, I'm sure. And if, if we all now think about that past and remember when we were in it, how bad it was, and now take ourselves to the present, in the present, we can see the good, the good in the divorce, the good in the bankruptcy, the good in the legal case. We couldn't see it when we were in it because we could only see the downside. And hindsight gives you clarity. And when the emotions have subsided, you're able to look with balance and logic rather than emotion. Now, wisdom is simultaneously seeing the good and the bad, the upside and the downside, in the moment as it's happening. And I think that as an entrepreneur, if you can learn this skill, um, you're going to be more successful for a longer amount of time. This is real sage advice here, because I think the way I'm kind of in my head, I'm a very visual person. So, you know, as you're talking, I'm kind of picturing flip charts with, you know, words and with kind of guides. And this whole balance thing, I keep seeing these two streams of the upside and the downside, the positive, the challenges. And I'm constantly now with the way you're talking here, seeing both sides. It feels like then to to be an entrepreneur to be successful in business to take that jump to to not stop before you start love that phrase that that's one that's going to stick with me there stopping before you start um that it is this kind of balance between disruption and potentially emulation because obviously there's a lot of people have gone before us you know both you and i you know been in business quite some time but there's still people who are older and wiser and you know more experienced than us deeper into their journeys as people who have you know passed on to other realms now you know so there's there's a, a real kind of long sort of journey to be had here it feels the common thread here though is 
part disruption because you have to find where you're going to add value, disrupt it, cause a bit of chaos and then solve it and serve it. But also on the other part, the other kind of the balance side of it, the emulation bit, so the learning from others. Because I understand, I mean, certainly from some of the the, the books um, that you've written, is that you, you've listened to a lot of people who've gone before you. So you've you've interviewed people, you've talked to a lot of people. There's a lot of kind of wise inputs to your thinking, isn't it? This isn't just Rob making it up on the spot. This is this is well researched you know, logic, I guess, that balances that kind of disruptive element of you. Is it, it, again, this, this is a theme, isn't it? This word balance, it's just coming through at every angle we talk about. Yeah, so standing on the shoulders of giants and modeling and then owning the traits of the greats is a much quicker way to become successful than it is to learn everything yourself from scratch. And it's weird because a lot of self-employed people or people who are struggling in business, they feel like you have to do it yourself. Um, you have to learn it yourself. And, and part of the rite of passage is, you know, the blood, sweat and tears. But if you're going to learn the piano, most people would just logically think, well, I'll get a teacher. If you're going to go down the gym and you want some accountability, logical people think, well, I'll get a PT. So why would people do business and entrepreneurship on their own? I mean, that's a, the thing with business and entrepreneurship is it's not a game. You can lose money. You can go bust. You, you take the risk and you, there's no guarantee that you can even pay your mortgage. So why would you take all that risk of, trying to blaze the trail yourself. So I believe that every successful person that I've ever learned from, they have learned from successful people before them. In fact, I haven't ever met one that hasn't. But emulation is different from imitation. And I think if you want to be a disruptive entrepreneur, you take what works and you make it better or you take what's broken and you fix it, or you, you take a product or service and you put your own unique spin and, and flavor and values into it. So the disruption is faster, better, more unique, or more personal. Disruption doesn't have to be something that's never been seen or done before. I'm, unicorns are unicorns. The, the, the definition of a unicorn is something that you never see. So all of us trying to build the next unicorn, the, the odds are against us. I mean, even the most disruptive companies like Uber and, and Airbnb, they did not design anything new. They just did it slightly differently. So there's a saying Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Uh, and so there's no shame in taking something that's already there. But what I've learned is um, that outrageous imitation or plagiarism, it's, n it's not great. Number one, someone worked bloody hard to create something that was unique. So it's quite disrespectful. Number two, you could get sued. Here's the thing. It doesn't serve you to copy someone else 
exactly because all that all that's going to happen is people are going to say oh yeah rob moore said that that's rob moore's so, you know i have i always wear alexander mcqueen if anyone like if anyone now wears alexander mcqueen in uh, it, it, online they're all going to go there oh you're copying rob moore just because this is just what i wear um if you don't risk anything you risk everything i say at the end of every piece of content and um i think a lot of people imitate because they don't know who they are. And that's fine. But what you want to try and do is model the traits of the greats, put your own unique spin on it, copy someone's recipe, but put a few different herbs and spices in it. And over time, find your own unique voice. Um, and then once you have your own unique voice, you cut above the noise. You, you gain attention. You gain loyalty and following. So how does that, how does that fit then this this whole kind of being authentic, being honest, and being true? Because obviously, as you say, well, one you can be sued, but two, it is the right thing to do as a human being is to do good business. How how do you kind of feel moving forward then that um, to be authentic and honest and true as an entrepreneur or business owner? that you know we're moving into a very purpose-led sustainable you know sort of planet friendly or planet conscious um kind of set of market sectors how do you feel that really compares with kind of the old definition then of consumption because entrepreneurs were traditionally all about i'm making money for money's sake for myself for my shareholders it's all about attracting and encouraging consumption Whereas now we've got these kind of ecopreneurs, I think is, is the latest phrase, where it's kind of it's profitable money, it's profitable business, it's portfolios, but actually doing it ethically and sustainably. Do, do you think those two things can coexist in a, in a sensible world? Yeah, this is one of the hardest questions to answer and also one that's shrouded in um, smoke and mirrors because there are many ethical, eco, sustainable companies that aren't that. It's, that's just marketing. There are plenty of people and companies going about doing good, solid, honest business and not shouting and screaming about it or your local shops and your boutiques that have been trying to make an honest living for decades. So that's a difficult one in the world we live in from a macro perspective. Um, you know, the amount of sugar that's in supposedly healthy food and drinks, for example, um, you know, the food and the health industry in the UK is, I mean, it, it, it's shameful how we're poisoning ourselves on a national level and we just, no one does anything about it. Um, so all I can really talk about is you as an individual. So I'll, I'll just list out a few things. Number one is, um, do you believe in the product or service you're offering? If you don't, then there's going to be friction, tension. 
there's going to be an internal challenge. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be self-deception. Um, so your product or service doesn't have to save the world or heal the world. You know, there's lots of things that are needed that don't save and heal the world, but they're necessary and a lot of people want them. So I think you've got to come from a place of, do I believe in this product or service? Then number two is, is this product or service valuable? Um, and you know if it is or it isn't. Now, then we get to the discussion of marketing. So if you have a product or service that you really believe in and you know to be valuable, at what lengths will you go to get that into the hands of the consumer? And that's the third question. You know, where's your moral and ethical line? Um, you know, there's a saying, isn't there? Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> so I think what you've then got to do is draw your own moral and ethical line. Um, and over the years, I've sort of tried to work out where mine is. And maybe when my ego's full and I'm feeling supremely confident, I might push that line. And then maybe when I'm feeling a bit more humble, I might eke away from that line. So it's probably moving, Neil, based on one's feeling of confidence and one's experience in the industry. But here's one thing for sure is if you don't shout loudly about your product and service, if you do not tell the world about it, they will not come. You know, there's the saying, build it and they will come. I'm sorry, that's not true. Build it, then go and shout to the entire world about it. Uh, but can you sleep at night? Do you feel that you're just on the right side of the line. I'm going to give you an example about this, Neil. I was thinking about this. If you said to me, um, Rob, how much did you make last year? There's about five ways I could answer that. I could, uh, I could tell you what sales I did, what revenue I did, what profit I did, how much I drew, and then, then I could add all my assets to that, add in the capital growth, and I could... So basically, there's about five or six different figures I could give you. They're all true. But I could add them all up and give you the top line, and it could be 23, 24 million. I could net, 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 net it down, and it would be two or three million. So which, which answer am I going to give you? Well, it depends on where I'm at and what story I want to tell. Mm, so, that, yeah, again, it's this balance thing. I love that idea of th this kind of moving line. Can I sleep at night with the moving line? You know, as any budding, and I guess what we're doing here is we're talking to a lot of people who are kind of on the fence as to, can I go for it? Can I move that side hustle, which I've been doing as part of fully employed? Can I actually make something of it? Can I give up the job? Can I transition into this thing? 
this is one of those key ingredients in this, this recipe that we're creating here, isn't it? With disruption versus emulation, you know, looking for, you know, opportunities against the challenges, trying to strike that balance there, but also then discovering that moral line and without greenwashing, without kind of trying to pull the wool over your own eyes, because I guess a lot of people could go into this almost, yeah, trying to kid themselves. Oh, I'm, I'm bigger and bolder than I thought I was. And they're kind of faking it. And, you know, that's not entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. That's not disrupted. That's just chaos waiting to happen, isn't it? So I think this has got to be really considered, hasn't it? It's kind of you've got to figure out where your value is going to come from. You've got to do it in a um, within a world that is becoming much more sort of, um, well, climate and sustainability focused and aware. You've then got to make sure that you can actually sustain it financially. You've got to spread it across potentially a number of income streams. This is complicated stuff, isn't it? You can't just suddenly one morning wake up and think, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and then just start. There's a lot of kind of pre-thinking that goes into this and planning and plotting. Is, is this kind of the, the essence really of, I guess, um, Rob.team, for example? Is this kind of where, where you see yourself kind of you know, moving and transitioning everything that you do to kind of really helping people? Because it, it feels like there are so many little moments there that could be stumbling blocks for most people. It really requires somebody, I guess, like you to be able to say, hey, hold on, we've got a process here. We've got a, a format. We've got some principles. We've got some guidance. We've got some support to kind of almost keep you on that, that safer track. Is, is that how this is going to work in the future? So I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later for all the overthinkers, procrastinators, analyzers, skeptics, Worst case scenario, doomsdayers. And it's very easy now to live in a state of perennial fear with all the disasters that are going on in the world and the perpetuation of fear and propaganda in the media. And so if anyone can relate to any of those things, it's kind of the opposite of what you said, Neil, which is, you just need to start and you need to underthink, not overthink. Now, if there's people listening who've tried 17 businesses and failed at them all and ne never done enough research and never given their businesses enough time, never considered the right industry, jumped on fads, then yeah, those people probably need to do more planning and more research. Um, you know, they need probably to do a little bit more due diligence, some um, live testing, creating some minimal, minimum viable products and, you know, getting some feedback on them before they officially set up the business. So being an entrepreneur is about the things I said, good product service, valuable, scalable, multiple income streams, cross-stream leverage, it's all of that. But it's also about understanding yourself and what's stopping you and almost disrupting yourself. Because most people in disruption talk about disrupting an industry or a product or service. But what about disrupting yourself? So for me, I tend to be, 
I like to solve things fast. I'm relatively impatient, much bigger picture type of thinker, very much strategic, like to make the decision crack on and, you know, get the finer details done along the way, not before I start. I like having multiple things on the go. Um, and so my weaknesses are research, diligence, detail, analysis, etc. So if I want to be a really good entrepreneur, I either have to strengthen those weaknesses or I have to get people around me that have those strengths. And then I have to be self-aware enough to know that um, I'm not always right. And the way that these people think, which might frustrate and challenge me, that's the upside to my downside. So, some, for example, this, there's three ways to um, remove yourself from a job and start a business. Number one is to set a date in the future, one, two, three years from now, and target an amount of income from a side hustle, working, job, and evening and weekends on your side hustle. And then when you hit that target, you hand your resignation letter in, one, two, three years down the line. The second way is to quit now, jump, and then build the parachute on the way down. The third way is to get fired and be forced into starting your own business. Now, which one's right? Which one's wrong? I got fired and it was probably the best way for me to start a business, but not for everyone. And actually the thing that would make you the most comfortable is probably not necessarily the right way for you. So if you've been in a job for 30 years, maybe getting fired is the best way for you to start a business. I don't know, but working out your weaknesses and disrupting yourself because here's the thing Neil I would rather regret what I tried than regret what I always wished to do and never did and I would hate for someone to look back on their life and go I just wish I'd taken that risk and started that business or I just wish I'd at least tried once to work for myself and I think there's a lot of people out there that want to, but they're waiting for the perfect time. They're waiting to be ready. They're waiting, oh, well, the economy's not good at the moment. Oh, I haven't got enough savings at the moment. You can, you can always make that justification, which will stop you. So when they make that call, <clears throat> they decide, yeah, okay, I've listened to this podcast, Neil and Rob talking, totally, totally relevant things to where I am in my career, in my personal life, the time is right, but I need to have somebody I can trust in the background. I need to, I know I've got to pull people around me, but I kind of just want that sort of trusted team mentorship support service. I think Rob Moore can help with that. Is that rob.team? <laughs> well, look, rob.team and the URL is rob.team. That's um, a very low cost um, online resource 
where people can learn strategies and tactics to start and scale their business, make, manage and multiply money, get their tax bill down, get their income streams up, build multiple streams of income, invest in assets that produce income, learn how to be an entrepreneur. But, you know, when you pay 20 pence a day, that's different from getting a proper mentor. So if someone wants to start and they're worried about going alone, because I think many people are worried about going alone, being alone. I think a, a, an actual mentor or a coach can be a great way to do it. Um, you know, some, you might be in a mastermind group with other people who've just recently started their business and you know, everyone's sharing their challenges and you don't feel so alone. Or you could even get a business mentor. I mean, this is not abnormal. I don't know why people don't think about this. If, you know, if they want to get fit, they'll get a PT. If they want to learn the piano, they'll get a music teacher. Why does it not occur to them? Well, why don't they get a mentor or a coach or join, you know, something like Rob.team uh, to help support me on my business journey? Because I can tell you absolutely everything that is ahead of you in your journey as an entrepreneur, I have experienced, apart from going bust. I've never gone bust and I'm proud of that. And I don't ever want to go bust. Um, but people setting up in competition, you know, having months of not earning any money having legal cases, having trolls, critics, haters, you know, selling a product and then not fulfilling the delivery as well as you can, being under-resourced, having too high overheads. You know, all the things that you might worry about, I've experienced. And I've experienced multiple times, by the way. And then we mm. had lockdown. I had to experience it all like 15 years in, you think you've made it, and then the government locked you down. You've, it's, like, it's, it's like it's day one again. It's exciting, though, isn't it? I know there was there was a quote that I saw you say, which was, if you work hard for something that you don't care about, that's stress. But if you work hard for something you love, that's passion. And I just love that because I thought, you know, if somebody's really feeling it, then even lockdown, as you described there, is not going to knock you off course, is it? Because it comes from within. It's something that you're feeling as well as thinking. So if somebody's kind of on that edge, on that knife edge of, shall I make the jump? Shall I go for this? They've got to really be feeling it, haven't they? So they've surrounded themselves with, you know, Rob.T and they've got a mentor. They've done the calculation of where they're going to add value, but they've still got to feel it. They've got to feel it in their bones and in their heart, haven't they? Because just thinking this through is not going to work because you've got to wake up in the night loving the thought that tomorrow you're going to do more of it. Is, it, is that how you feel every day? Yes and no. So at a macro top line level, um, I know I'm on my right journey, on the right path, on the right mission, going in the right direction. And there is nothing, nothing that can stop me. I have never on that top level ever thought about quitting ever thought about going back into the real world and getting a job and never given up, even with big legal cases and lockdown disruptions. Never, never. But, and this is important, Neil, every day I get pissed off with something. Every day I'm like, why now? Why me? And there are moments in every day where I, I want them to bugger off, that to piss off, and this to fuck off. <laughs> and so this is important to say, Neil, because what you said 
yes, you know, having that overall, I'm on the right journey, I'm on the right mission is important. But it can also put a lot of pressure on. Well, unless you wake up with a fire in your belly every morning at 5 a.m., you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Well, I know loads of entrepreneurs that drag themselves out of bed with a, you know, a cloudy head. So entrepreneurship for me is life squared. It's life on steroids. It's life on hallucinogenics. It's everything that life is, the good, the bad, the ugly, the love, the hate, the passion, the pain, the elation, the depression, it's everything, but it's highlighted because it's what I'm meant to do. So the highs are higher, the lows are lower, the wins are bigger, the losses are worse. You know, the feeling of value and worth is more extreme. The feeling of shame and guilt and doubt is stronger too. So it's just, an, for me, just an exaggerated version of life. And what people tend to do is they assume it's going to be better or easier or Oh, when I get to 10 grand a month, way, you know, I can relax. I'll, I'll be there. You know, when I'm, a, when I'm a millionaire, new level, new devil. Rob, this, this has been so, so interesting in, you know, in so many ways in terms of tips, sage advice, the passion that you bring to this whole idea of being, you know, a disruptive, um, disruptive entrepreneur. It's just fascinating to listen to you kind of, yeah, sharing with people who I know are lapping this up. So, you know, I'm so grateful for your time today, Rob. It's been, yeah, really, really interesting. And there's real food for thought. I think for anybody coming at this from all the different angles they might be, as you described, you know, you could be just about to lose your job. You could be just about to quit your job. You might not even have a job. There's something in this for everybody if they can figure it out, surround themselves with experts, and then maybe Rob.team is a very nice little route to uh, getting those initial tips to get you started. So thank you so much for your time today, Rob. Really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Neil.